We have spent many decades in our culture trying to pretend that the spiritual world is make-believe. That witches and dragons, giants and ghosts do not exist. Many of us were told just that when we were children. Some of you younger ones may not have. Things are changing a little bit. Yet the Holy Scriptures make mention of all of these things that I just mentioned. And what's more, the Holy Scriptures talk consistently of the spiritual world to which we also belong, though we do not see it with our eyes. Now is a very interesting time in our culture. The latest couple of generations actually have given up on that modernist idea that there is no spiritual world. Many millennials are incredibly spiritual. Many of the Generation Z, by the way, what's next? Is it double A? Uh, Many of Generation Z are also very spiritual. One friend of mine who is Definitely Generation X, not Millennial nor Z, has found the Millennial position more friendly to her worldview. I asked her what her religious views were a few years back, and she basically explained to me what she believed without giving it a name, because I don't think she's ever heard of the name. At the end of the day, I was somewhat taken aback to realize that a friend that I had grown up with here in Chester Lake Almanor, with whom I spent much time with... I think she's a year younger than I am. I realized she was a pantheist. Or perhaps a panentheist. Someone who grew up in the very modernist Generation X um, world, whose parents were uh, baby boomers, you didn't run into a lot of pantheists during the growing up years. Luckily, I had studied religion a little bit and some theology, and I was able to recognize that, oh, well, in case you want to know, that's called pantheism. And she, oh, okay. Um, It is not unusual in our contemporary culture to see someone with that worldview. It is rather less usual in my generation, though um, there are some, as I said, Pantheism sees the world as God. Reality is identical with divinity. The ancient peoples of the British Isles saw a nymph in every stream and a dryad in every tree. They saw mermaids and mermen. They believed that reality was divine. Everything around you was divine. The actual elements of nature were paired with gods. Panentheism is very similar, but sees God as distinct from the world, yet very much present in all the elements that make up the world. In Christian theology, God's divinity is distinct from his creation. And creation is not considered a part of God. In panentheism, however, God's divinity is not distinct from his creation, and creation is a part of God. Panentheism believes that the divine pervades and interpenetrates every part of the universe. 
Some of this gets tricky. Of course, it has certain associations with Orthodox theology uh, from Christianity, as well as philosophies from the Greeks uh, to the Hindus. Some versions of panentheism suggest that the universe is nothing more than the manifestation of God and his divinity. In addition, some forms indicate that the universe is contained within God. My point here, however, is not to have a contemporary religious philosophical discussion. My point is to get us to realize the opportunity we have to share the gospel in the world today, especially to those under about 35 to 40 years of age. That doesn't mean you don't share the gospel with people older, but there's a kind of a wide opening. They are open to spiritual ideas, and they are searching. Uh, to give a personal plug, I guess, I have to admit, um, one of my seniors last year wrote a senior thesis. She happens to be my daughter. Um, and I was, uh, as a father, very proud, but also as a teacher, very impressed. Let me see if I can come up with the title. The Lion, the Rings, and the Wiccans. Lewis and Tolkien's Christian mythology or, or something like that. She basically argues that we've come into a time of what we call neo-paganism. And as we move into that more and more, she argues that people are going to be more and more open to the gospel because they're more spiritually open in general, as opposed to the secular atheist humanist who's not interested, thank you very much, in any spiritual world that doesn't exist. That's the world I grew up in. You young people are growing up in a very different world. The Feast of St. Michael and All Angels is a perfect jumping-off place for a conversation about the spiritual, the spiritual world, the, the, the spiritual realm that you know, we can't see, but so many people believe today that is out there, not necessarily in any Christian perspective. Of course, we can also point out that the church has had this awareness of and formal and informal interaction with the spiritual world for century upon century. People are, are discovering spirituality as a new thing. And we can say, oh, well, the church has been doing this for centuries. Come see what we talk about. And essentially, this spiritual world and this discussion has gone on from the beginning. After all, the incarnation is an amazing melding of God and his creation. We're not going to get back into the philosophical end of it. But the incarnation is definitely distinct from pantheism and panentheism. Christians have been interacting with angels from the Old Testament onward. The church has had a strong sense of its communion with the holy angels for centuries, though that sense has declined in the church during the Enlightenment and modernity. This is why you say Michaelmas to someone and they're confused. And finally, if they have some sort of maybe um, uh, reading in British history, they go, oh yeah, that's a term at school. And it is. But the term at school, which we're in now, we started today at our academy, uh, Michaelmas is named for St. Michael and All Angels because in the Middle Ages, it was a huge celebration. And we get into modernity, the Enlightenment modernity, and, well, we don't believe in the spiritual world, so why would we celebrate Michaelmas? I would, 
encourage us to, strongly encourage us to continue that strong association with the angels. The words of Holy, excuse me, the words of Holy Scripture have not changed. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn. And they are not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. Excuse me. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation? The archangel Gabriel, of course, tells the blessed, blessed virgin that she's going to have a child. The angels are filling the pages of Scripture. Father Blunt comments, The Holy Son of God condescended to be ministered to by angels in his temptation and agony. They waited upon him at his birth and resurrection. And at his second advent, he will come with all the holy angels. St. Peter was set free from prison by an angel and one stood by St. Paul in the ship, thus illustrating their ministration to Christ's servants. Our Lord himself spoke of their rejoicing over penitent sinners and said of the little ones who had passed under his hand and benediction that their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. Guardian angels. As if indicating many ministrations to those who are his, some known and some that are not made evident to sight or other sense. It has been a constant tradition of Christianity that angels attend at the ministration of holy baptism and at the celebration of the Holy Communion, and that in sickness and death they are about the bed of the faithful and carry their souls to the presence of Christ in paradise. This is the work of the angels in our world, whether we see it or not, whether we believe it, we believe it or not. We should rejoice and give thanks to God for his legions of angels that do his will to support us, the church, with their strength, their might, and their commitment to God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. In light of that commitment on their part, please remember that they are great examples of being obedient, faithful servants of God Almighty and are thus excellent examples to us to live such a godly life. These angels of heaven do not lapse as we do. They do not stumble or fall from sin or into sin or from selfishness. We honor God when we venerate these pure and spotless servants of his who do his pleasure always. So today, let us honor God by honoring them and giving thanks to God for their service to him and to us. And please remember to speak of God's holy angels in your conversation with those outside the church, for they may just be intrigued enough to come and find out more. Father Blunt can have the last words today. In respect to our worship on earth, we may reckon it an exalted privilege to have such communion communion with the holy angels, as to be able to say, therefore, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify thy glorious name, evermore praising thee and saying, Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of thy glory. Glory be to thee, O Lord most high.
Amen.